Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems around the world adopt technology with me, Tiasha Zaitz. This is the third episode in the short series about healthcare and digital health in the Nordics. What you're going to hear today is a recording of a panel discussion that happened during the e-health days which took place end of August in Slovenia. We're going to dive in Finland and the secondary use of data there. I moderated the panel and explained everything about the speakers in the introduction to the panel, so I'll just leave you to the recording. Enjoy the discussion and to browse through other episodes as well, go to our website facesofdigitalhealth.com and if you haven't yet, do check out the previous two episodes about digital health and healthcare in Denmark and Norway. And of course, do subscribe to the podcast to be notified about new episodes automatically. Now to Finland. Hello everyone and welcome to the third day of eHealth Days, a week of events about good practices in healthcare digitalization around Europe, running during the Slovenian presidency to the Council of EU. The main topic that we're going to address today is the secondary use of data. Secondary use of data refers to the use of data for purposes other than the data was primarily collected for. That means that, for example, we use patient records for research, analysis, innovation or decision making. There is no common uh, standards or practice in Europe for the secondary use of data. There is, however, Finland, which has had a long tradition of well-established regulation and processes for the secondary use of data, and this is what we're going to discuss today. My name is Tiasha Zaitz. I'm the host of Faces of Digital Health podcast, which explores how healthcare systems around the world adopt technologies, and I will be moderating this session. There's no one uh, with me here in the studio today, but we do have four speakers from three different countries on Zoom, and I would like to give a warm welcome to uh, Mina Hendolin, the leading specialist for health data at the Finnish Innovation Fund, CITRA, Yuka Lachetsma, the senior specialist at the Ministry of Social Affairs and Health in Finland, Angel Martin, Chair of MedTech Europe's Digital Health Committee for AI, and Deepak Kalra, President of the European Institute for Innovation through Health Data. Since the main topic of today is the secondary use of data, I would like to start with a brief introduction by each of the speakers so we can learn a little bit more about you and uh, what your current role is. And perhaps the best way will be to start with the two speakers from Finland. Mina, please, can you go first? Thank you. Thank you. And good morning or good afternoon, regardless of the time zone. It's wonderful to be here. My name is Mina Hendolin. I come from Finland. 
And as uh, from my background is that I've been part of this health sector research innovation and business ecosystem for more than 20, 20 years and different roles, starting as an academic researcher in bio life sciences. But then most of my, my working career, I've been in their managerial leadership position in the health sector related industries. But uh, last 11 years, I've been working for Finland and in the business Finland, this is the major public financier for innovation and business promotion agency and the Minister of Employment Economy. I've been heading the health sector uh, thematic area there and now I swapped as to their neighbor to the Citra Finnish Innovation Fund. And uh, especially now I am working with their with the European health policies and this our joint work to, towards the European health data space. So my role has been also as part of the finance to be part of the national, Nordic and, and EU level health sector research and, and strategies. So that's maybe briefly of myself. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Mina. Yuka, you come from the ministry side. Finland actually has a joint ministry for health and social care, which is something that other countries are looking at implementing, given the importance of connecting the two sectors. Can you tell us a little bit more about your role and the connection to health data? Yes, thank you. So my name is Jukka Lähesma and at the ministry I'm working as a senior advisor at our permanent secretary's cabinet. And my main responsibility at the ministry is coordinating so-called health sector growth strategy. And one action as part of this strategy is the uh, secondary use of unhealth data in Finland implementing the act that we have. I'm the responsible officer for that, coordinating that implementation. I have been working for the ministry now for uh, nine years. And before that, I was a consulting director at one international ICT-based firm. Thank you. Thank you, Yuka. Angel Martin, you're the chair of the MedTech Europe's Digital Health Committee for AI. If I'm not mistaken, you are uh, with us today uh, from Brussels, right? Indeed, Janssen. So I'm located in Brussels. I work for Johnson & Johnson, leading on digital health advocacy. And I'm currently the chair of the MedTech Europe Digital Health Committee, plus the AI and data working group. We have several groups and and maybe that's reflective also of the big investment in Meta Europe in digital and actually an increased work when it comes to data policies, AI. So we have produced a number of uh, thought leadership papers which are available on our website. And I hope I, I will be bringing some light on, on, on the things that we see from the industry and the opportunities that we see regarding digital and, and data. Thank you. Thank you, Angel. And the last speaker that uh, still needs to present himself is Deepak Kalra, coming here from the UK, tuning in from the UK. And uh, Deepak, you're the president of the European Institute for Innovation through Health Data. Tell us a little bit about your background. Thank you very much. It's great to be part of this uh, panel discussion this morning. So I started my career as a general practitioner, a family doctor in London, thinking that's how I'm going to spend my life. Very enjoyable. But somehow I became fascinated by the topic of electronic health records. And this pulled me into academia. And I then eventually became a professor of health informatics at the University College London. 
And then about five or six years ago, uh, through a number of projects, we decided it was necessary and useful in Europe to have a not-for-profit institute that would focus specifically on helping all stakeholders to make better use of data, to have better data. And so we created this institute. So I've been involved through nearly all of my career in European projects and international standards around electronic health records, including reuse. Thank you, Deepak. So let's start with the brief overview of Finland, um, the environment there that's enabling the innovation landscape that we're going to learn about today. So Finland is the first country in the world that has digitized national health registries originating already in the 1960s. The country also digitized the biobank data from 1920s, you have 100% penetration of electronic healthcare records. So Mina, if we start with you, what would you say are the reasons, uh, the factors that are contributing to uh, Finland, enabling Finland to be so digitally advanced? Thank you. This is a bit tricky question because I can't say that there is one or two or three separate issues that could be said that these are the major issues that is behind that. But uh, I would say that it's more or less like a holistic approach. And you are so right that Finland really ranks among one of the most advanced economies in the world and has been a place in the top global or place in the top global comparison, whether it's a competitiveness, innovation capabilities, business environment, or even happiness. And I think this is a one from important point. And, and a recent example uh, also is that, that there's a Rosmeter, this index on the European Prisoners Health Index called that you, about the future, future-proofing healthcare initiative. And Finland was ranked in that uh, in the first place. But it's been a long journey. And uh, if we, those who know Finland, it is uh, really a small very geographically, linguistically, and even culturally isolated country, and, and it has developed during these 100 years from very poor agriculture, maybe just basic forest-based industry, to a very developed, developed society, and which is known for high education, uh, nationwide high-quality social and healthcare services, but then also this trust stability of the society. And I think this has been one of the major things that has been around that how we have been able also to build the health sector, the data sharing issues and all these kind of capabilities which now have been enabled to, to get Finland in the forefront of using the data, not only for primary purposes but secondary purposes. I think the last thing also I want to mention is that all this maybe the extreme conditions and the history, the limited resources of people and, and the money has also made Finland's very, Finland a very uh, solution-based uh, pragmatic mindset that if there is a problem let's solve it and make a pragmatic plan and get everybody involved because, uh, because there's so much the resources are so limited, you have to collaborate. And this has been also one of the big issues, I could say, in the successful implementation of national health sector growth strategy during all these years, like about eight, nine years, that this collaboration in the between different ministries and, and, and focusing the limited resources to the same target. So 
this was a long answer for the very complicated questions. So I guess these are the, maybe the major learnings also from, from Finland. Thank you, Mina. Yuka, since 2019, Finland has had a regulated process of using healthcare data for secondary uses, and that is managed by FinData, which is a centralized institution that grants or rejects proposal for secondary use. Can you perhaps briefly explain what kind of data does actually FinData manage and how does the whole approval process looks like? Yes, thank you. As me already uh, mentioned, we Finns, we, we like to be practical and to start with, we noticed that we are not fully utilizing the data registers that we have in Finland for the secondary use. So for example, the research and uh, knowledge management. So we decided that we have to have this new act on the secondary use of social and health data. And based on that, we also established the new a permit authority called FinData. So basically before the act and the customers, research scientists, they had to uh, apply the permit for each of these registers, each organization separately and collect the data separately from each of the organization. Now when the FinData is existing, the customer can apply the permit directly from the FinData. FinData permit each of these Finnish registers, each organization nationwide. And FinData is not only providing the permit, but it's also collecting the data from the different organizations, combining it and providing it the, the data, combined data into a secure ICT environment where the customer can then process and analyze also the personal level data as they wish. Who decides what type of data goes to FinData to manage for further use? How much uh, do the patient have a say in uh, whether or not their data is shared or not? Actually, the, our, our new act uh, defines that for certain purposes and the purpose is the benefit of the well-being of citizens. The data from the registers can be utilized for the research purposes. So it is defined by the Act and then the FIN data is the authority responsible and, and authorized to make the decision whether this application is suitable for the Act. However, the citizens can drop out from the system if they don't want that their data is utilized for these purposes. They can inform the FinData and other authorities that they don't want their data to be used. To make the, the whole explanation of FinData and the process a little bit more tangible, I have just one more question for you, Yuka. Can you name any of the examples of the research that came out uh, with this secondary use of data? So just practical examples. And also, can anybody apply uh, for the secondary use of data or is it limited only to academia, to the public health uh, institutions? Uh, what's the situation with that? Yes, actually, 
anybody, academia, industry, uh, government officials, they can apply the data if they are going to use it for the purposes that the act uh, means. And FinData is actually publishing all its uh, permission decisions on a web page. So I can give you some examples. First example is developing advanced AI-based analytics from providing services for families with uh, small kids. So this is uh, more or less like a kind of a, a knowledge management de development action. Then uh, second example is a study on outcomes of insulin treatment on population level. This is a poorly academic research project. And uh, the, the last example is developing three-dimensional bone cancer tissue model for improved treatments. And this is a public-private cooperation project. Thank you. The process is very streamlined, very clear. So I would like to ask Deepak Kalra. In your career, you've been involved in the research and development of electronic health records, architecture and systems across Europe. So how do you see that the good practices from Finland could be applied to other countries and healthcare systems in other European countries? Great, thank you. First of all, if we were to step back from your specific question about Finland and look at the total landscape of making better use of data, the challenges and the solutions really fall under two broad categories. The first one is having good usable data accessible. And the second one is making trustworthy use of that data. So if we look at the first one very briefly, it covers topics like good quality data capture, data quality assessments, interoperability standards, architectures that allow multiple data points to be analyzed collectively or to pool data in bigger repositories. In that situation, we already see huge advance in Finland that you described. And so we know that there is data available in Finland, but other countries are working hard on these challenges too. But the one which has been the focus of this panel already so far is the second one. How can we ensure that when the data are usable, they then are used in trustworthy ways? And here we have a lot to learn from Finland because Finland has passed legislation and it didn't just pass it quietly in the night. It engaged its population in understanding that there is huge societal benefit from making better use of data, but I presume that it's not easy to give every single person, every person in Finland or every person in any country, discrete choice about every possible use of data. It's just today not scalable to ping multi-millions of people with multiple requests a day fully informed and say, do you agree to your data being used for this purpose? So instead we have to work to a kind of delegated model where we say there are bodies appointed with very strict governance that say that on behalf of society, they will make decisions based on, firstly, rules that give them clear mandate for what purposes, in what scenarios they should be able to make decisions to say yes or no. But secondly, transparency, that even if you are, can't ask the public in advance, 
you can pre present back to the public how have we authorized data use and how are we ensuring that data use results in societal benefit? And I think this is where a lot of countries in Europe were struggling with how to achieve this. And when Finland announced its FinData initiative, I think I would say palpably around Europe, many countries suddenly looked up with great attention and said, hey, this looks like an approach we should consider ourselves. So I think, honestly, uh, Finnish colleagues, the rest of Europe is anxiously looking to see how you get on. What are the lessons you learn? What do you feel are the success factors? What do you think are the things you might have done better? How might other countries follow in your footsteps and help to build in Europe a scalable but very trustworthy capability to make better use of data? That's the exciting opportunity we want to promote. This is actually a great kind of cue for perhaps a response from Mina or Yuka. We are all in awe with, with FinData. I'm sure not everything is uh, perfect. So perhaps what would you say are the biggest challenges that you see in your case? And also why are other countries struggling according to your observation? What are the main things that you see? Okay, I can start from the from the broader perspective for this. The European Commission has recognized the importance of the this digitization and the better uses of data. And the Commission launched a uh, year ago the European Data Strategy. And these things are now happening at several different levels. And as a part of the European Data Strategy, this initiative of towards European uh, the, the European Health Data Space started. And it is a kind of bunch of different initiatives which are aiming at to where the, where the Mr. Gaga already mentioned, Deepak mentioned about, that how we can harmonize the systems in different countries, build the, the trustworthy infrastructure policies, ways of working, and going even so deep like uh, to the interoperability, the data quality, and, and the, now the joint action, the data's joint action, which is now the one of the initiatives in, in this European health data space, which CITRA is now coordinating. Uh, it, it exactly now taps into these challenges, but also to the uh, making proposals of how we could do this to get in the Europe. It is a joint action that has 25 countries now involved and commission and, and eight working packages and uh, the, the Finnish model it is a good model, but it not might be the only way or only one model how it should be done. And now our, our idea is to make proposals together to the Commission. What would be those models? In France, there is a French Health Hub, and, and in Germany, there's a different model. And now we are trying to do these things and proposals together. But maybe you can comment on those practical challenges that you found in this FinData, and, and that you are better and familiar with those. Yes, certainly. Thank you. And, and as already mentioned, even though we think that we are in the right way with our secondary use, we are struggling with, with several things and sometimes the path is very painful. And one example is, for example, this dedicated secure 
ICT environments that we are we have been creating in, in, in Finland. This has been a huge change for the research scientists. In the past, they have been able to utilize their own tools and computers quite freely in their research work, and now they are forced to utilize dedicated environments with the capabilities that they offer to them. So this is a huge cultural change in the research. The second example would be that the big research projects have benefited most about our, our work. It, it has been much easier and faster for them to get the data for, for the work. But some of the smaller studies, they are struggling, especially with the finance, because through the new legislation, the, the costs of getting the data are getting higher. There are small fees for the FIN data, but we have noticed at the same time the register owners, they have raised the fees for the data sets themselves. And finally, as Minna, Minna already mentioned, now we have this SEC standard cross each and tools in Finland in place to securely utilize the data for research, but these do not exist in, in Europe. And so we are very worried about what will happen to the international cooperation if we are not proceeding fast with European health data space activity. Uh, I want to move a little bit from the challenges back to, to the optimistic, futuristic side of hopes of secondary use of data. And that is the development of AI tools, better predictions, more personalized and adapted treatment for a specific patient. And at this point, Angel, given that you're the representative, the chair of the MedTech Europe's AI working group, uh, what do you see as the main potential of AI development in healthcare in Europe? Also, given the fact that uh, Europe is not among the front runners in AI development. Thank you, Tiasa. No, great question. Um, and I may touch on some of the points that some of the, yeah, the previous panelists mentioned, but uh, I think when it comes to the potential of AI, I think it's huge. There are so many studies and evidence about that. Our organization actually commissioned a study together with Deloitte last year, which actually showed the potential. And the potential, the figures, you may take them maybe as solid as you want, but they really give an indication that there is a huge potential, particularly when it comes to wearables, imaging, diagnosis. I think there we see huge potential of AI in the short term and in the long term, potentially it's going to be much more in even what I would say treatment and assisting treatment healthcare professionals in the best care everywhere. Uh, as an example, could be uh, surgery. Uh, we could see actually how uh, surgeons will not only get the best insights with uh, better visualization that can be empowered by AI, but also some assistance to decision making. So almost making any surgeon as the best surgeon in the world. So AI can do all that. And Deloitte was basically estimating around 200 billion euros per year, potentially that's 12% of the expenditure in healthcare. That's a potential, that's a figure. It's high, but it's showing is showing potential, but it's also thinking about hours that could be freed from healthcare professionals to be dedicated to 
uh, higher added value activities. And I think all those things are, are really important, but we still find challenges. I would like to come back a bit to the previous panelists because data is the main one we see first on AI, right? Uh, AI is, is basically data and, and depending on how much data and how good is the quality of the data, there are so many things you can do with AI. And we think that I think uh, the holistic and inclusive approach of FinData, of Finland has taken is showing actually maybe a path for many other countries also for the European Union. There is an additional factor or, or I would say more a strengthened element that Finland is addressing and I think all countries the European Union should also should really take very seriously which is the whole issue of culture. Now we're trying to bring uh, a new culture here. It's got making some big shifts in healthcare and it's important that everyone in the ecosystem has the right capabilities, skills and knowledge not only to understand what, for example, AI is able and not able to do, so it's important to understand the limitations as well, but also actually to optimize that and to maybe rethink some aspects in healthcare. So I think, for example, Finland again is showing us a, a clear example by training population, by making accessible training to AI, to any citizen actually. And we need this kind of initiatives much more because precisely that's what's going to help also a trustworthy ecosystem. So I think I, I agree with everything that Deepak and the colleagues have said so far, but I think the cultural element shouldn't be underestimated. Sometimes it's put at the end just for the long term, but I think actually it's, uh, it's more needed. Thank you, Angel. When it comes to the discussion of data and how data is used, especially in healthcare, where we're talking about very sensitive information about individuals. The immediate uh, association or key topic to discuss is also trust towards the data, how it's structured, how it's sent, how it's protected, and who manages it. And given that FinData is still one organization, it's a centralized organization, can you, uh, Mina Inuka, perhaps tell us a little bit more about what was the national sentiment towards uh, this kind of an approach, especially in the last year, we saw a lot of just uh, the general questioning about who can and should manage healthcare data. Mina? You, yes. you can like to okay. uh, start from their minister's perspective and I can continue then. Perfect. Yes, maybe I start in, in general, we, we Finns, we are quite eager to use new technological innovation and, and we also trust the government officials. This is of course a good environment for this kind of developments. However, we, we have to remain the trust in all situations and, and that is a huge challenge of course. Once again, to give you some examples, you, you mentioned the COVID crisis and the COVID-19 contact tracking app was launched 31st August uh, 2020 in Finland. And it was downloaded one million times at the very first time. And considering the Finnish population, 5.5 5 million, this was a quite nice number. And nowadays about 30% of the population using the app. And as already mentioned, our act on the secondary use makes it possible to use the personal health data 
for welfare research purposes without the consent from the person. As, as mentioned, we, we are also thinking that it, it would be too much for the citizens to, to spend half an hour every Saturday evening after the sauna to, to tick the boxes that for this research project I, I, I give the promise, but what is not. And however, it, it is possible for the person to deny the usage of their data. But so far, Finland has received only 300 denials. So, so the situation at the moment is quite good, but, but we have to remain the trust in all uh, situations. Yeah, that's, uh, if I continue a little bit, there are different angles to this question. And uh, one, of course, is through the, the social and health service system, that it has been realized that we really need to improve their access to the data, but also the use of data for prevention, prediction, and to get this uh, better healthcare for the fence. And it, like Yuka mentioned here that this COVID situation has really lifted up their opportunity and also the usage of, for instance, all kinds of digital and remote services that could be now added and also to start building a more personalized uh, removed services for people wherever they are. But then another angle is also that how in Finland we could improve our economics and how we can benefit out of this digital transformation and the usage of all the exponential technologies like AI to promote the, the industry and renew the industry. Finland has been before, as I'm adult, you very agricultural, basic industry, metal, and, and, and these kind of things. But it has already transformed. Nokia was a good example, and it was a good basics to build this kind of IT uh, backbone for Finland. And now building this really new industry, having different new business models based on data sharing platforms and as scalable businesses. And that all needs data. Like Angel said that AI needs data, it needs good quality data. And if the companies can't have an access to the good quality data, how they can really build these trustworthy solutions for healthcare, for instance. So there are many different angles and this has been a part of the Finnish national strategies, regardless whether the sector is, even in the AI strategy is horizontal. And uh, there was a good point, Angel, that's been lifted up these uh, elements of AI then the course that everybody can Finland can have take this course and Finland also when it had its 100 years anniversary launched it for everybody across the world that can you understand the basics and this kind of build also the trust and understanding of the number of people that they know at least the basics of things so I think that's very important to build the trust as well. Thank you. Before I continue to my next question, I would just like to warn or just invite the audience to also ask questions on your own end. So do use the chat function on Zoom to add any questions that you might be interested in and we'll address them at the end of the panel. When it comes to the trust and how to manage data in healthcare, if data is stored centrally, 
it uh, is potentially more uh, vulnerable. And one approach to mitigate that is to use federated approaches in terms of accessing data and uh, the federated uh, learning algorithms to uh, mine data and get new insights. Deepak, uh, can you perhaps first explain a little bit more about what the federated approaches are and what are some of the good examples uh, that we already see in healthcare? Hey, thank you. Yeah, I, I think that what we're talking about here is, is methods of enabling bigger scale data access, whilst at the same time helping to uphold good data protection practices and limit risks. Uh, and as you pointed out, um, if we build a massive repository with a large amount of data in it, we are requiring a large number of data providers and all of those people represented in the data to trust that a massive database can be safeguarded well enough. And it's not about whether there are rules or not. It's really almost a human judgment issue of trust. How do people feel about the confidence of big, bigger and bigger databases? So in a federated architecture, what you do instead is you have a lot of network connections to databases that already exist in different places, in different countries, in different jurisdictions. And you send queries to those databases which stay in their own locations. That means, for example, if you wanted to find out if a hospital has a large number of patients with a certain disease of a certain severity on certain drugs, not taking certain other drugs, rather than asking the hospital to send you the data on all of the patients with that condition, you send it that question. How many patients have this diagnosis? Out of those, how many people don't have another diagnosis? Out of those, how many are on treatment A? How many of those are not on treatment B? And all the hospital has to send you back from its database is a bunch of numbers that are basically counts frequency distributions like tables of numbers. You don't get data on any individuals. So that mechanism for running big data analyses is becoming more and more popular. An example, perhaps the best example, the biggest example at the moment is a project called EDEN, the European Health and Evidence Data Network. It's a European project that is helping to scale up that kind of architecture across Europe by helping to build an overall ecosystem, training companies in how to do the connections, helping hospitals and other organizations to connect to that environment, and then scaling up the ability to use that data. Now that doesn't take away the need to have rules. You still have to check who is permitted to ask what kind of questions. And you can build into that network additional security layers that so stop somebody trying to ask very specific questions. For example, who is living in Downing Street with a certain age band? The moment you start to specify something very specific, in a query you can start to guess who the people are. But there are security measures you can build in to stop that happening, to block and say, no, your question, your research query is too specific, it can't be answered in a way that still safeguards individual privacy protection. So that's a popular architecture, it's gaining ground across Europe, 
it's not a silver bullet. It doesn't solve all the problems. You still need good governance, but it allows each data source, each registry, each hospital to have control over what queries it's willing to allow, which connections it's willing to allow, what kind of research organizations it's willing to allow to ask questions of its data. And that sense of autonomy is considered to be tremendously helpful and reassuring to the European network of data sources that exist. Thank you, Deepak. When it comes to the practical use of AI in healthcare, we already see examples of algorithms that are developed and are used in the clinical practice. However, the expectations regarding the accuracy of AI are very high. In essence, even if it's meant to serve as decision support, we want it to be 100% accurate, which also means that the data that AI is fed with needs to be very uh, accurate, very well structured. This opens up a lot of questions, but let me start with asking Angel, what do you see from the industry's perspective? How can we build trustworthy and efficient AI value chains in healthcare? Thank you, Tiasnatsu. If you allow me, I will have a, a five minutes, about five minutes, sorry, a five seconds, sorry, uh, addition to what Deepak just said. I think when it comes to data, indeed, federated models is one solution, not the only one, but it's one solution. But we also think uh, that it's important to have more consistent implementation and interpretation of rules. And I'm talking particularly about GDPR. I think what we see is that the implementation and the interpretation of the rules is not consistent across member states, but also within member states across regions. And I would say even from hospital to hospital. So I think it's really important that we receive more guidance, more light about that, because our industry is really facing big challenges. Even if you were to go into a federated model uh, from one hospital to another, how privacy officers are interpreting the rules and how do they need to protect? Sometimes it's possible, we can find solutions, but sometimes it's not. So we need more consistency in, in yeah. that. And also, I will also add that consent is an important element of GDPR, and I really like the, the way also Juka explained it. But also, I believe that also anonymization and pseudonymization are important tools. And we need guidelines that help us with that too, because we may not need all the personal data or even any personal data, actually, for the analytics we need to run. But having some guidelines on when are we doing right good practices of anonymization and pseudonymization will help not only industry, but also I think research in general. So I wanted just to, to, to give that also in the mind of the audience. Now, when it comes to, to AI, I think first, there is no doubt. People need to trust that the AI solutions that are being put on there are safe, right? So people can trust that safe. When it comes to medical devices and in vitro diagnostics, we have two pieces of legislation which are addressing that and that is evolving. So we're getting further guidance, more expertise about that. And indeed, when they're on the market, they need to be safe and they need to be monitored that they keep being safe, particularly if they are intervening in, in, in medical practice, like in treatment or diagnosis. So that's, that's one element. But we believe also there needs to be more governance. And what we mean governance, we mean also better collaboration also across the value chain, because AI is bringing also, I would say, more complexity or more layers of that healthcare value chain. 
So we got new players coming in. And also it's important that there is very good collaboration and clear distinction of roles and responsibilities across the value chain. Also because the AI, the algorithm may be developed in one place, then retrained in another place, and then put in practice in a third place. So that's bringing new elements that we all need to consider and that collaboration and the governance across that value chain needs to be clearly established. I mentioned before culture, data culture, I would say also AI culture, right? Uh, as we mentioned also for Finland. And that goes not only for the general public, but I would say also for industry, for healthcare professionals, for regulators, certainly, but also I would say for IT. I think we need those data scientists also to be more knowledgeable of healthcare. So that we need to start blending those areas of expertise much more so that then we can really understand better when we develop those algorithms, how they're going to be applied and used. And at the same time, healthcare professionals need to understand, as I said at the beginning, what's possible and what's not possible. So if we have a certain level of accuracy, how do we use that level of accuracy in medical practice? And let's be honest also, humans are also not 100% accurate either. So we need to make, put that all that into a context and have a, I would say, a fruitful and constructive discussion on how to do that. And the final element I would say is it's really important that people are really empowered. I think one of the things which is coming across either in ethical guidelines or even in the proposal for the legislation on AI, it's that a human oversight and human agency, it's a key component. We certainly need to address that, but we need to have, as I said, a constructive and open discussion on how AI can improve and where AI maybe cannot improve the way we deliver healthcare today. Thank you. So uh, if I tried to condense your thoughts in two sentences, it would be we need to work together more, understand each other more and learn more about AI, about healthcare, about statistics, no matter which side we're coming in from. And I want to open the discussion for all the speakers now, but I will go to Mina first. Mina, in your role, you're looking at ways for the EU member states to use health data as part of the joint action towards European health data space. And I want to quote a recent white paper by the Open Data Institute, because we talked a lot about uh, collaboration and policies and governance that needs to be put in place. And this white paper show that while there are a lot of papers and policies about the use of health data in Europe, we do suffer from the lack of common uh, data models. Open standards are proposed, but which open standards to implement are not, often not stipulated. Electronic health record data systems are often insufficiently advanced to enable sharing of data beyond the clinical care setting. So while we're talking about European health data space by 2025, how optimistic are you all uh, regarding achieving that goal? And what, if, if there's one thing that you would emphasize that needs to be made, what would it be? We can perhaps start with you. All right, thank you. Thank you. You are so right. Well, the, the beauty and richness of the Europe is it's in diversity. But the flip side is that when we need to harmonize things, it takes time and we have to really work on different levels. It is not enough that we work on the European Commission level or European wide in the, in level, but we have to go to the country level and we have to go to the regional level. We have to go to organizational level what is the even organization's data strategy and how they are tapped into 
the data ecosystems and what is their role. And this is also the work that we've been working now in Citra, that not only in the European level, but you have to have a, a kind of effort time and time enough go to the, to the root level there. But uh, if I want to point out one or one issue, I think I want about two issues. One is that already Yuka mentioned is that how we can build these uh, trustworthy data sharing infrastructures, whether they are cloud-based or whatever they are, we should have these kind of spaces where to store the data and have the access to data. And then other is actually from the even different level uh, or the end is the people. That data is for giving, is not for taking. And that's why it's just that how you make people to understand the things, the transparency, so fair data usage, that they can also have a role of themselves in governing, managing their data. And it is transparent and they understand. But it also that you give something, what you gain. If I give my data, what kind of things I get it to myself. So I think this is briefly on for your question. And if I very shortly reflect what Angel and Deepak said about the federated uh, data storages is that there are these initiatives like Gaia-X for industry perspective to build this kind of federated structure where the companies can share and, and have an access to data. So there are plenty of things already ongoing. That's for my side, thanks. Thank you. Any volunteers in terms of who wants to go next? Yuka, perhaps we can just go with you to go from the Finnish side. <laughs> okay, okay. I also would like to start with reflecting what Deepak and one of our main principles also in the Secondary Use Act is that the FinData is providing only the data that the research scientist needs and nothing else. Even though the, the main process in Finland at the moment is that the data is collected and combined in, in a physical format and, and we are very much interested about the federated solutions and then investigating and trying the possibilities also in Finland. But when we are coming then to AI, I'm simplifying the situation quite a lot now, but sometimes it would be very interesting just to put the AI in the middle of a huge amount of the data. And, and find out what comes out. That is one, one way of using AI. And that is, of course, quite converse, quite different from the principle of utilizing only the data that is needed. And this is a, a, a challenge. And as already mentioned, uh, the trust of the citizens, the people is a must there. And we have to remain that in all uh, situations so that the people can trust that the data is used only for the right purposes and when it's used safely and securely. And also the people are getting more and more aware of these things. And also in Finland, there is a small but increasing number of people that are coming very skeptical about the usage of any uh, of their data. And so we have to really work together on these issues. Thank you. Thank you. Angel, if you can go next, given uh, that the other speakers were referring to Deepak, I'm going to save him for last, so go ahead. Yeah, I guess the 
it's difficult to choose just one thing. And also, again, just to praise our colleagues from Finland, and they what they did is not one thing. I always highlighted always four things, right? They have a strategy. They know where they want to go. And that's really important. We need that also at the European level. We do have a European level, but I would say collectively across member states. They do have legislation and rules. We need clarity and consistency in the rules. I think that's really important. We need infrastructure for that to, to happen. And they have an interoperable infrastructure, which is key. And then we need to have a trusted broker, and that's uh, FinData. We need an authority, also a body like Deepak mentioned at the beginning, that everyone can trust and everyone knows how it operates. So there is transparency as well. And I would say the only addition is culture. I'm sorry, I'm not able to choose just one because I think in order to be holistic and inclusive, you need to address all these different aspects. Yeah, it's a multifactorial uh, challenge. So definitely there is just, there's not just one answer. Deepak, your thoughts, please. Okay, a large part of our panel discussion today has focused on, on, on the governance aspects, on building trust and setting rules and having, uh, Mina emphasized the importance of having coherence across Europe. Ankle emphasized the challenges of multiple interpretations of the GDPR. But Tosa, in your provocative remark about the Open Data Institute's points, you were referring to them mentioning effectively a fragmented standards landscape, lots and lots of standards, the lack of coherence about clarity about how to build the right common data models and so on. And I would like to say that they are both right and wrong. On the one side, it's true that we have a lot of standards development organizations who make a lot of standards. And at times it may feel bewildering for a company that wants to build a standards-based uh, solution to know which of the multiple standards out there they should actually use and how they should use them. And in truth, they don't always fit together. But I would like to challenge and say, I really don't think that's the biggest problem. Uh, I've been involved in developing ISO standards and SEN standards for many years. And there are some really good standards out there. I don't just mean the ones I've been involved in, but other colleagues have built really good standards. Our problem really is limited adoption. Ankle referred to a value chain and sure AI is hitting value chain obstacles, but the whole of interoperability has been enmeshed in a value chain obstacle for decades. And that is that the drivers for investing in connectivity between healthcare organizations to give a patient a holistic data landscape that any clinician or any patient themselves can access and see all of the information that's relevant. That has defeated us because at the moment, the incentive structures for investments in health IT at each healthcare organization do not favor investing in connectivity with others. The incentives favor using IT to improve internal organizational efficiency. That does not include interoperability. So the marketplace is not hungry enough demanding interoperability. The people who buy systems don't get enough incentive from interoperability to prioritize it in procurements. The vendors don't get a push to build interoperability into their products. And health systems, whether it's health insurers, public health systems, 
or even the research community, none of those people who need interoperable data, joined up data, are themselves investing enough in making it happen. We saw this with COVID, that when you want to get pan-European intelligence on COVID scenarios, it's really difficult to pull the data together. Why? Because we haven't built in advance joined up health systems, joined up health data. We've got to break the value chain obstacles, change the value chains to incentivize investments in standards. Sure, the standards landscape needs a bit of a shakeup, but nothing like the health systems landscape needs to have standards as a hungry, desperate imperative that is financially incentivized, reward incentivized, so we properly invest, make Europe a joined up health data ecosystem so we can all benefit. You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health, a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. During the e-health days where this discussion that you just listened to took place, we also had several other discussions about healthcare digitalization in Germany, Catalonia and Israel. So do check the show notes and find these episodes as well because they were also adapted for radio and published as podcasts. Stay tuned.